Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Kurita, your host. Very happy to be with you again. Thank you for tuning in with us and please stay with us for this hour as we are looking into the Bible to learn and to understand that the Word of God is relevant for us today. I'd like to welcome our panel via Zoom. Thank you everyone for joining us and I will say hello Len from Ingle Farm, Adelaide. Yes, hello Nick, hello listeners, welcome to the program. All right, and I'm going to Helen from uh, Gola. Thank you, Helen, for uh, joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm sitting out here in the beautiful sunshine, and I'm looking forward for us to discuss the sun shining in our hearts. Beautiful. And uh, Lija is also joining us today from Golden Grove area in Adelaide. Lija, welcome. Thank God for being here today to study His Holy Word. Brenton is also joining us from Mount Gambier. And Brenton, how is life over there in Mount Gambier? We're enjoying it down here, uh, Nick. However, we don't see a lot of sunshine. Hopefully it will come out today at some point. All right. Hey, Brenton, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you are going to facilitate this Bible study, and thank you for uh, preparation. Uh, we know further comments. I would just like to hand the microphone to you. Thank you, Nick. There was a story told. A number of years ago, some of you may have heard it, some of our listeners may have heard it, of a man who found a difficult part in his Bible, didn't quite know how to interpret it, so he took it to his minister and said, look, I'm having trouble with this particular area. And uh, the minister said, well, he said, uh, modern research has shown that that particular area was probably just a myth. And so the man went home and tore that section out of his Bible. Now, over the period of some time, I'm cutting the story short, he came to various aspects, the resurrection, other things, and he was told that the latest research and the latest thinking uh, theologically was that probably resurrection was just a myth. It was possibly something where Christ went into a swoon, his disciples took him away, and he revived later on. So the man went home and tore that out as well. Well, eventually we got to a point where the man came to church one day and showed the Bible to the minister and said, this is what I've got left, which was basically the two covers. It's important, I think, for us to realise, as we do our study today, that Jesus, above all people, quoted the Bible regularly, and we're going to start in our study with his very first quotation, uh, where he is first recorded as quoting the Scriptures. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to ask Len if he could offer prayer for us. Thank you, Len. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you for your word, which tells us what's going on in the world and what's likely to happen in the future. And we realize this time with coronavirus upsetting life in so many different ways that many people are turning to you and wondering what's going to happen next. It's my prayer today that we as the panel and the listeners will turn to you because in you there is safety, there is reassurance, there is hope. And I pray that those who are wondering what's going on will turn to you and have that same satisfaction and peace that we have as we approach your throne of grace. We pray that this study might be a blessing to everyone who hears and also to us as a panel. These things we pray in and through the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Amen. 
In our study today, we're going to look firstly at a very important aspect of Christ's life. We're going to look at his temptation in the wilderness, and I'm going to invite our panel to turn to Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. We're not going to read the whole 11 verses. We'll pick out selected verses. And I'm wondering, Helen, whether you would be able to read verse 2 to verse 4 for us, please. I think most of our listeners would know that Christ had three temptations in the wilderness. I'd like Helen to read, first of all, verses 2 to 4. And then we will discuss it and also cross-reference by having a look at what um, Jesus already knew at that particular point in time about his mission to this earth. Yeah, happy to do that, Brenton. Thank you, Matthew 4. Yes, yeah, just start at verse 2 and perhaps read down to verse uh, 4 for us, please. Okay, thank you. I'm re- reading from the it's a New Living Translation. That's okay. It says here, for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, it is written, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Mm, Thank you, Helen. Thank you very much. What is the opening comments that um, the devil says to Christ? And remember when he comes to Christ in this form, he comes as a shining angel. He doesn't come as the devil. And he doesn't say, hi, I'm the devil, I've come to tempt you. He just comes in the form of an angel. Christ has been fasting for how long, Helen? Forty days. Does anyone have any idea of what it does to the body to fast for that length of time? Len, have you uh, ever done Well, I've never fasted that long. No. <laughs> but you become dehydrated. You're, um, well, to start with, you get hunger pains, but they seem to disappear after that. Yes. You lose a lot of weight yes. and you become very weak. Thank you. Brenton, just I'd like to mention something. As you pointed out that uh, Satan came um, as an angel of light, the devil... He will always come like that. He will always act like that. He will never come with a pitchfork in front of you or with a horrible attitude and uh, look on his face or whatever if you if you want to see. Because this is the misunderstanding of so many people about Satan. And what is more important that Jesus knew and recognized Satan even though he will come under, you know, whatever cover, using the word of God even, mm. the word of God. But Jesus was able to yeah. identify Satan. Yeah. Thank you. Lydia, you had your hand up. Satan tempts Jesus three times in this occasion. Yes. And Jesus knew that it was Satan. And every time he tempted him, he came the words it is written this is an example for us because for christ here has the greatest authority and the greatest power and in this way his ministry begins with a certain foundation on the bible and continues to build upon the trustworthiness of the bible so we have to learn to come to every question, in every circumstance, 
with the same example that Jesus gave us. It is yeah. written in the Bible because in this way we affirm the authority of the scripture as Jesus did before. Thank you, Lydia. Helen. Yeah, I'd just like to point out a couple of things. Number one, after 40 days of fasting, I believe Jesus would have looked very pale and worn, emaciated, uh, famished, way beyond measure. And Jesus, you know, would hardly give the impression that he was actually the son of God. Mm-hmm. And he probably looked more like a human being ready to die than even like the son of God. But I think it's very interesting to note that the first word that Satan used is a two-letter word called if. Yes. And that's so full of doubt. He did mm-hmm. the same to Eve and he does the same to us. He puts doubt into minds. And um, when Jesus answered with, it is written, I believe that that was a good example for us. When yes. Satan gives doubts in our mind, it could come from another person, as that little story you illustrated. That then puts doubts into people's mind. We need to know scripture to the point where we too can answer with it is written. Yeah. Len? It says in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was led into the desert by the Spirit and he was required, if you like, to go through this because the Spirit led him there. After 40 days when he was at his lowest, Yes. Because he hadn't eaten, drunk, probably hadn't slept much, no comfortable bed to sleep in. He was at his very lowest. That's when Satan came along to tempt him. However, and Lydia was referring to this earlier, Jesus of his own uh, volition or his own power, if I can put it that way, he never tried to fight the devil on one-to-one terms. He referred to the word of God. And I think of people who've been in prison, who've been mistreated and so on, rely on the word of God to have the answer for them when they're being pressurised by other people. Then that's a good answer. Lydia, just quickly. When Satan approached Jesus with the word saying, hey, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It was Satan's provocation to Jesus. It's like was saying, well, you know, just prove it. If you are the son of God, now is the time for you to prove it. So prove it. This is a provocation. And Jesus knew that he was provoked by the devil. In circumstances, the devil comes to us many times in our lives to provoke us. So we have to observe when he provokes us, We have to stand still and prepare ourselves to connect with God and find the right answer to answer to him. Yes. Helen? Just going back to where um, Len was mentioning back in um, verse 1 where he went out to the wilderness, we need to remember that it was after Jesus had been baptised that he went out into the wilderness. Matthew 3.17, you remember at the baptism, what did God say, Helen? He said um, that this was my beloved son. Indeed. And it was actually it was actually proving his divinity. But what I wanted to say was I often counsel people when they go through the waters of baptism to be prepared that Satan is that's going to be one of the hardest times for them yes. because that's when he wants to attack. The difference is that Jesus was tempted even harder than we are because Jesus had the power to turn the stones into bread. Yes. 
is yeah. not only the Son of God. I mean, he, he had that power. And it's much, much harder when you're tempted to do something and you actually know you can do it. Yes. You know, whereas when we're tempted, we, we of course, have those doubts. No, we can't do that anyway. But just a word of caution, when people give their lives to the Lord, Satan's not going to give up. No, he's not. What I was going to say is Helen touched on it fairly well. That is that um, he already had the assurance at his baptism that he was the Son of God. The voice from heaven said he was the Son of God. In this crisis, what he's clinging to is the fact that his father has verified that he is the Son of God. Therefore, there is no need to prove to the devil that he was the Son of God. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, which of course, is a reference to the manna that was sent by and by God himself. In fact, Christ is quoting from what he himself actually did. He's saying that man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. As you just pointed out to that passage in the Bible that Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but with every word. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, Nick. But what I want to say here, very important because we alluded a bit earlier. And keep in mind, we are talking today about Jesus and the apostles' view of the Bible, how they relate to the Bible, what was the Bible for them. And we have examples here, and I would like to point out the fact that we said earlier that Jesus probably was in a very bad shape, because as that text said, Jesus very, very strongly said, man shall not live only with bread alone, but with every word which comes from the uh, mouth of God. It's important, and this is proven, actually. I know somebody who were, you know, who fasted for a long time, and they were even stronger. Not necessarily like physically you say that, okay, they can move mountains, but they became even stronger in many aspects of life. Because we are also spiritual beings. We are not just physical beings, only to feed ourselves with food. Probably that's a bigger problem today. We are not exercising fasting as we should. Most of the people of God in the olden days, they practiced that fasting and didn't prove anything wrong to them or being weaker. That's just to make a point there. Uh, I would like to mention that the fasting from food give us clear mind in the body is producing a detoxification and uh, gives us a clarity in our brain, in our minds, especially in regard to the word of Jesus. So fasting is a good, a very good point. Fasting was practiced from olden days and even in our days, but because people are loving the food and, uh, you know, they just, it's very hard for, uh, for them to leave the food away. Yes. Let's look at, um, because of time, let's look at the second and third temptation reasonably quickly. In the second temptation, Christ actually quotes, um, rather the devil actually quotes to Christ from Scripture. He quotes from Psalms 91, 11 and 12, where it says he will give his angels charge over thee. Um, what part of that Scripture did he leave out? The word that we were looking for was a little comment that says to keep thee in all thy ways. Yes. What that means is all the ways of God's choosing. Len? Yeah, just very quickly. If Jesus had done what the devil wanted him to do, 
That would have mean he accepted Satan as the master. Yes. And Jesus was not going to do that because mm. Satan is a defeated foe. Jesus proved that by his death on the cross. It's a very good point. Again, Jesus showed who's in control. He's the son of God. He could not fall into that temptation, actually, because if you will fall in that temptation, all the plan of salvation would be compromised. Yeah. Can I just make a brief comment before we move on to number three? The words that Christ spoke to him are actually full of meaning. It says this, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, in that statement, Christ is referring to himself as God, and he's referring to the devil as someone who shouldn't tempt God. That's what he's actually saying. Can you see that in the scripture there? That's a good point. You you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. You are standing in the presence of God. You have no responsibility. You have no right to tempt the Lord your God. That's what he's actually saying to, to Satan, I believe. Temptation number three. Really, the gloves are off here, aren't they? Pretty much. Um, I think Lydia and Nick and I think a few of you mentioned earlier on that um, all along Christ really knew who Satan was. But here he shows his true colours. He's basically saying, look, I'm in charge down here and uh, if you fall down and worship me, all of this will be yours. What was the temptation in this, Len? Well, I think it was a ridiculous thing, to be honest. Yes. Because... Jesus, as God the Son, had the whole universe. Satan was trying to trade off a piece of dirt for the whole universe. Yes. However, now where was temptation in this? The temptation was that Jesus came to save this world. Yes. And Satan was giving him the opportunity of getting out of uh, having to go through the ordeal of the cross. Yes. That was where the temptation was. Yes. Jesus could see through it. And he yes. said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written. And yes. every time he says, It, it is, written. is written. Now, it's written. It's important because it was the word of God where it is written. If it was just the word of man, it wouldn't mean anything. The word of God is This is the situation. Worship your God and serve him only. Again, that's reinforcing what he said in number two, isn't it? And there's one final point on on the devil's final um, temptation of Christ, and that is that the devil didn't really have the right to offer the world to Christ anyway. No. He wasn't the uh, legitimate tenant, if you want to use that term, or legitimate lessee. Yeah. He had... uh, um, what was the word? He had stolen that right from Adam and Eve. So it wasn't his to give Christ in the first place. I would like to say on the third temptation. Yes. Me, it's very bossy, the third temptation. The Satan took the lead like he was the boss. So he took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Yes. And he said, All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And it's very interesting here because all the kingdoms and 
uh, everything what he showed to, to Jesus, it was Jesus' creation. It was like Satan offered him peanuts. And he said, all of this I will give it to you if you'll bow down to me. Yes. So Thank again, he, he didn't give up, but Jesus was so calm. And as Len was said, he didn't answer him and he didn't want to bow to him or to submit to him because yes. he didn't want to show him that he is the master. The master was his father. And actually, Jesus was the creator of everything that Satan offered him. Yes, that's true, um, Lydia. Thank you. Looking at Jesus in the law, um, all of you will realise, and many of our listeners will too, that frequently during Christ's life, probably the single greatest um, accusation they made against him, other than his reference to himself as God, was they consistently, the priests and rulers, consistently believed that he was breaking the law, that he was, um, that, that he was not in accordance with what God's will had said. I want someone to read Matthew 5, verse 17 for us, please. Maybe, Len, could you read just that verse for us? Thanks. Matthew 5 and verse 17. These are the words of Jesus. <clears throat> Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, now... <laughs> Let's have a look at those two words. Um, you used the word abolish. Um, does anyone have a version that uses the word destroy? Helen? Um, I'd like to go back, if I may. A question has come into my head when you were talking about the temptations, which may need clearing up with some people. Temptation is not a sin, but fulfilling that temptation is. Do you agree? Yes. Yes. Was it at all possible that Jesus could have be, have given in to that sin? Was it possible? Yeah, he was tempted. Yes. Okay, we're all tempted. Mm. Why um, was it possible for Jesus to actually be tempted to the point of wanting to give in? Why I'm saying that is because we say, you know, when we're tempted, what do we do? Now, Jesus, did he use his divinity? I don't believe so. And he had the power to do it. But I, I'm coming back again to what I said before. It is about knowing the word and having that relationship with God, not the fact that he was the creator, God, or king of kings or anything like that. The fact is when he came to this earth, I believe he wasn't using his own power. He says, I don't do anything of myself. It is of the Father. So just in clarification, when he was tempted, was it possible for him to be tempted to the point of giving in? Yes. Yeah, he was. But just on that one, very quickly, I'll share you a little story. It's described a little bit this way, temptation and giving in. It's like a stall of birds flying above your head. You cannot stop them to fly uh, above your head, but you can stop them making a nest on top of your head. And that's how you approach temptation. And Jesus approached those temptations with the word of God. Even though, as you said, Helen, he didn't use his divine power. He could have do it just like that, even, even smash Satan away from him physically, even though he was that weak. Yeah. But he used the word of God. He used divinity, if you like, to defeat the foe. And that's, Thank you, Nick. That's, I just, 
Yeah, I just wanted clarification on that because from where we were coming, it sounded like, um, okay, so he was taken to the wilderness, he was tempted, um, and he didn't give in, which he didn't, but it was coming through to me, I don't know whether to the listeners, but it was coming through to me like, well, he is the son of God and he is the creator and, you know, therefore he wasn't going to be, um, he wasn't going to go into to temptation. But I just wanted to clarify that so that we know ourselves, if we have that relationship with God and we, we have the word hidden in our heart, we too have that same power against temptation. Okay. Can I just, uh, thank you, uh, Helen. Can I just uh, make a brief comment on this uh, verse that Christ quoted? The first thing he said was, get thee behind me who? Satan. That's the first thing. The second thing he said is, for it is written, worship the Lord God and him only you shall serve. What he's saying to Satan is you, a created being, are expecting me, God, to worship you. Good point. The only true worship that God accepts is that you, Satan, it's really a rebuke to Satan by saying that you, Satan, should be worshipping the true God, which is what he was unwilling to do in heaven. And that's why he was cast out of heaven. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yep, yep. Bless you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Back to Matthew 5, verse 17. <laughs> Len read a couple of important words. The word destroy is found in my version. Len, in yours, I think you used the word abolish. That's correct. Yeah. Okay, well, destroy in the Greek is the Greek word kataleo, which means, and I found this very interesting when I was researching it, to loosen down as in a tent or a house. Now, those of us who have been involved in Pathfinders know what it's like to put up a tent or pull down a tent. Really what he's saying here is I haven't come to loosen the meaning of the law. I haven't come to loosen God's requirements. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. But the the other word, fulfill, the Greek word there is plero, spelled P-L-E-R-O-O. It means to make full or fill full. Now, there is no suggestion anywhere in this statement of Christ's that he ever intended to do away with the law. Why is it then, folk, and I'm interested in your comments, why is it that so many Christians believe the law was done away with? Len? I think, personally, I think it's just an excuse because the only, um, the only grounds for saying that, in my opinion, is what they say is the meaning of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. It talks about, they say, that the Ten Commandments were nailed to the cross. Yes. And Colossians 2.14 says, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, and they extrapolate. That meant God's moral law. But if you look into it, it was not. It was the ceremonial law, which was delivered by Moses and written on a parchment. There is another uh, reason people give for that, and they use a verse, I think it's from Romans, where it says we're not under law, but we're under grace. Yes. And we are under grace. But that doesn't mean to say that the law was done away with. It means this, when we break the law, we have grace in order to be forgiven and to be restored. Yes. 
And I can't see how people can say, well, the law was done away with, because if the law was done away with, how does one identify sin? And this is a, this is a big issue we're talking about now, Mm -hmm. because I know that there are many people listening to this program who've probably been told that the law was done away with at Calvary. But it wasn't. And I can give you a couple of texts to say that the law should still be kept, written by the Apostle Paul and also the Apostle John. Thank you, Len. I appreciate that. Helen, did you have a comment or led you or Nick on this particular one? Well, I believe that um, there was the three laws. There was a ceremonial law, there was the civil law, there was a moral law. And at the time that Jesus was on this earth, the Pharisees had certainly added to a lot or added a lot of laws that were very confusing. There was a mess of rules for people. And I believe in the text where it says, um, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. I believe that Jesus was trying to bring them back to the original purpose. Yes. Of the law. Yes, yes. Brendan, I would just want to add uh, there. Um, keep in mind, this is the Sermon on the Mountain. Yes. Jesus, you know, uh, tells all these things. And when the disciples were coming uh, around him, you know, and learn from him all these things, because the teachers of the law, as was pointed out, they have totally different understanding of certain things. And even about Jesus himself and his ministry. And Jesus is telling us here, this is amazing because uh, during the ages, we can easily fall away from the truth, from the Bible, from the law of God. And Jesus said, how well did you change the law of God in the favor of your own tradition, addressing the, the teachers of the law at that time? And again, he's telling us, he's using the scripture as a whole pointing back to the Old Testament, pointing even to the time they live in at that time, and and use that. And even somebody mentioned a bit earlier that God didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill, but also to make it even more relevant to God's law. And as you look into Matthew chapter 5, you will see that God said, and we may come to discuss those things, that says, you have heard about Moses saying this and that, but I will tell you, even And he went even a step further of emphasizing yes. on the need of yes. the commandments of God. He did, Nick. Thank you for that comment. We could debate this one all day because it's pretty important, as Len said. It's actually vitally important. Grace, I believe grace poured out upon a sinner leads them into obedience to the law, not away from obedience to the law. Yes. All right. Uh, the second part of Jesus and the law relates to two verses found in Matthew 23, verses 2 and 3. Um, Lydia, could you read those couple of verses for me, please? Matthew 23, verses 2 and 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not... Practice what they preach. Thank you. What do we call that today when someone doesn't practice what they preach? We have a word. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. <laughs> Thank you, Len. comes from the Greek word meaning to act, to act apart. 
So they talked the talk, they didn't walk the walk. That's correct, Helen. Do you believe that hypocrisy is a strong factor in many people rejecting Christianity today? The hypocrisy that they observe in the lives or the perceived hypocrisy that they see in the lives of others. Do you think that's a... I will say I will say a little bit even a bit different. Not only people who reject uh, Christianity. I will say hypocrisy among Christians. Yes, those leading to that, Nick. Those people who believe and even uh, highly regard uh, themselves as uh, as Christians, they may be hypocrites. I'm not saying that myself. The Bible is using that word. Yes. If you are not doing what the Word of God is teaching you and it's asking you to do, yeah. you then, you fall in that category of hypocrisy. Len, you had your hand up. Yes, I think hypocrisy amongst Christians is probably the worst thing to do with Christianity and making people think that Christianity is not worthwhile. Yes. I had a conversation once with somebody, and there were some people who claimed to be very holy and they did some dirty deals, and this person became aware of them. And that the person that I actually spoke to said, that was it. That was enough for me. I had nothing. I didn't want anything more to do with them. Yeah. So it's the worst advertising Christianity can get. You're quite right. Please. If you are a Christian and you are not like Jesus, it means you are... You are a false Christian. I mean, so yes. you, you, why should you be a Christian? Or go on the left or go on the right. So don't use masks. Don't have a double life because being that, you you, you lose your life anyway. And uh, Christ doesn't accept this kind of people. So being a true Christian is to have a stronger relationship with God and know the Lord and know the, the his word, his holy word. Um, Lydia, that's a very good comment. It, it, it's just so sad that um, one of, probably the saddest text in the Bible is Matthew seven twenty one to 23, where it says, Many will say to that meaty in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonderful things in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. That is talking about people who claim that they are Christians, but clearly whatever uh, work they did was not done in Christ's name, which means that they are basically hypocrites, doesn't it? And just on that uh, verse, uh, Brenton, some other translations says, depart from me, you all who work lawlessness. So I was going to mention that, Nick. Thank you for bringing it up. All right, let's move on to another section. We will spend just a little bit of time on this because our time is uh, drawing to a close. Jesus and all scripture. If we turn to the book of Luke in chapter 24, we find that after Christ's resurrection, he met two men on the road to Emmaus. Now, we're given the name of one of them in scripture, but not the other. Clopas, I think, was the name of one of them. I'm not sure what the name of the other man was. Christ came along. uh, He joined this group of two. Obviously, uh, in COVID-19 requirements, he may or may not have been breaking the law, but he joined this particular group and uh, they didn't recognise him initially. 
and they were talking about the events of Christ's death, burial, and alleged, uh, well, they didn't at this stage um, know too much, but they had heard from the women that he had risen from the dead. And they were reflecting on this and saying, well, we believed he was a prophet. We, we, we believed that he was the redeemer of Israel. But in their story, one senses that even there, there was just a glimmer of hope that maybe something was happening there. But if we turn to chapter, chapter 24 and verse 27, I wonder, Helen, could you read 24, verse 25 to 27? Because I want you to see Christ's comments before he proceeds to give them probably the greatest Bible study recorded in the Bible. Wouldn't it have been great to have heard that well, Bible study? Wouldn't you have believed <laughs> it? <laughs> I would have. Um, verse 25 to 27, the New, New Living Translation says, Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a Bible study that would have been. Yeah, I've actually, I've listened to, to a couple, and one of them being Pastor Ivor Myers, and the other one a book that Pastor Doug Batchelor wrote. Yes. Um, both showing Jesus right the way through the Bible. Yes. And it's just absolutely astounding. I'm going through the book of Doug Batchelor's at the moment, and the, he just very, very clearly brings it out that yes. um, Jesus is in all the scriptures. Absolutely. Len? Well, I think this reiterates the theme of what we're talking about today, where many people forsake the Old Testament. They say it doesn't apply anymore. It's only... Uh, myths, legends, and moralistic stories. But it certainly wasn't the case with Jesus because he used in the temptation in the wilderness, he referred to the Old Testament. Here again, he refers to the Old Testament, and the apostles refer to the Old Testament. So anybody who says the Old Testament is no longer applicable, they kind of missed the boat, I think. They have. Yeah, Brenton, I would like to quickly just uh, make a point here on this. You may, Nick. You may. Because uh, you see, you, we use the words that they misunderstood also the whole thing, what happened yeah. in Jerusalem at that time. Now, we may be in the same place, in the same shoes many times. We may misunderstand things. But the good thing is that God will never leave us there. God will always find a way to reveal to us his will. The only thing is what we need to do is to have an open heart, to yes. be ready to receive that, not to be stubborn and locked down in your own understanding. Because so easily these two disciples, they could go and say, come on, man. You, they even said that you are the only one who don't know what happened in Jerusalem these days. And when Jesus started to teach them from the Bible, from the Old Testament, they could have said, come on, just give us a break. You know, you are not in our situation. But what I would like to say is that uh, Jesus is using this opportunity to really bring them back on track. Yes, they knew what they were supposed to, to practice, you know, but they, they misunderstood. Yes, they did. Brenton, I'd just like to say it's interesting that because of their belief of why the Messiah was coming, more like a political ruler that was going yes. to redeem yes. them from the enemies, 
which he, he actually came to redeem them from the enemy of sin. But today, I mean, it took the disciples that day, it took the living Jesus in them, the middle of them, in that walk. To convince them. They realized the truth. And yes. I think for many people today, it takes the presence of alive Christians yes. as well. And that's one, one thing we need to do. We need to glorify Christ and to tell people the truth so the Holy Spirit can enlighten them as yes. well. Thank you, Helen. I'm going to skip uh, past a little bit the section here now, move on to the Apostles and the Bible, which is another interesting point. Uh, there's one reference here only that I'm going to look at because of time. I'm not sure that we can have a look at Paul's recorded speech in uh, Acts 13 because it's the longest of his speeches and the first. Uh, however, we will look at Acts chapter 4, verse 24 to 26. And I wonder... Um, if, Nick, you could read those verses for us. Acts 4, verse 26. This right. is the response of the disciples and the believers after they'd been hauled before the Sanhedrin for healing this man who was lame. Okay. Reading from um, NIV translation. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, your father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Mm. They're quoting from the book of Psalms, but this is a prayer. Remember, this is not Bible study time. This is a prayer. And where does the prayer start? The, the prayer starts in acknowledging Christ as the creator. It uses the language of Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11, and also Revelation 14, verse 6. It's, they praised God, didn't they, first and foremost? The question that I had on my, uh, as I studied this, I got quite excited. <laughs> I do get excited sometimes. And uh, I said to myself, maybe, just maybe, and I'm interested in the comments of the panel, just maybe when we pray to God, we're always praying and asking him for things. I know I can only speak for myself, but we're often praying and asking God for things. Have we ever prayed to God and first of all acknowledged that he is our creator? as well as our Redeemer, because really what they're saying here is they're acknowledging his creatorship and redeemership. But then you come down to verse 29, which I want to share with you quickly. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. I tell you what, in the COVID-19 days in which we live, is this a message that we need for today? Mm. Lord, may we speak your word with all boldness, despite social distancing, despite social isolation, despite the many things that we are not able to do that we used to be able to do in social association. Please, Lord, give us grace, give us wisdom, and most of all, give us boldness to be able to speak your word in these times so that we can warn people that Jesus is coming soon. Any comments on that? Yeah, I think it's interesting to note that they didn't ask God to remove the problem. No. They asked him to help them deal with it. 
And I think sometimes, um, you know, God may, we can ask God to remove our problems and he may do so, but we must also recognize that sometimes he doesn't remove it, but he gives us the strength and courage to deal with it. Yes, they didn't actually ask him to take away the problem. No. They just said, Lord, give us strength to speak your word with boldness. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah, Brendan, just on what you just said, the, the way to pray, you know, how should we, do, should we pray? And interesting that in the Lord's Prayer, when the disciple asked Jesus to, to teach them how to pray, God is giving the, uh, them a, quite a model of prayer. Yes. The, you, may, you may add maybe, but I'll just mention a couple of things. There are at least four or five things which you should uh, say during a prayer. First of all is to praise God. That's the first thing, you know, and it's in the Lord's Prayer is to praise, uh, praise God. Then it will come things to, to bring yourself before God in humbleness and in, uh, you know, to ask for what you need. And you, you, you give glory to His name. And there are a few other things. If you, if you like to add some of you, I know that uh, probably you, you'll experience the same thing, that you, when you pray, you don't only ask. Yes. Thank you, Dick. I'd like someone to read a couple of quotes for me. I wonder, Len, could you read one quote for me, please? Yes. Men consider themselves wiser. And I wonder, uh, Lydia, if you could read the second quote for me, please, starting with those who become best acquainted. It's very interesting because I've thought about this myself. Why do people reject the word of God? And why do people reject God? And here is a quote from the author E.G. White. Men consider themselves wiser than the word of God, wiser even than God. Wow. And instead of planting their feet on the immovable foundation and bringing everything to the test of God's word, they test that word by their own ideas of science and nature. And if it seems not to agree with their scientific ideas, it is discarded as unworthy of credence. And I just wrote to somebody the other day on this very point. We have, particularly in this day and age, a lot of information that's passed down through the media about evolution. Now, evolution and the Word of God are totally at opposite ends. Yes. And and people reject the word of God because they accept evolution. Now, the uh, author has written here, we should test ideas from the primary basis of the Bible, not the other way around. We mm. shouldn't test the Bible on the basis of evolution is true. We should do it the other way around. Thank you. This is what I do. I, I can't. I cannot accept evolution. It seems so impossible. So um, it's important, I believe, in all these sort of major ideas that come up, we put the Bible first and we work things out from there. Yes, I I agree. Uh, Lydia, could you read the second statement for us, please? Those who become best acquainted with the wisdom and purpose of God, as revealed in his word, become men and women of mental strength, and they may become efficient workers with the great educator, Jesus Christ. Christ, 
has given his people the words of truth, and all are called to act a part in making them known to the world. There is no sanctification aside from the truth, the word. Then, how essential that it should be understood by everyone. These are both very good statements, aren't they, folk? Mm-hmm. They really are worth thinking about. Very, very much so. It's interesting, um, the cry of the Reformation was ad fonts, spelled A-D-F-O-N-T-S, back to the sources. It should be noted, it says in a recent BBC survey, and it was recent, it was only about two years ago, they found that 25% of people who professed to be Christians did not believe in Christ's resurrection. And only 17% of all people did believe, I've put down did not, but it's actually did. Only 17% of all people did believe the resurrection, just as it reads in the Bible. Um, I'm mindful of a quote, none but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. My dear friends, we are actually entering that stage where we are in or about to enter the last great conflict. It's just so important to follow the Bible as it reads, to accept it as it is given, and to be obedient to it as it requires us to do. Are there any final comments from anybody as we finish our study for the day? It's um, kind of to do with what you just said about the survey amongst people who did not believe in the resurrection were um, Church of England priests who were holding position as leaders in the church. They didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, to me, I don't know why they're there as leaders of a congregation of worshippers. Good point. <laughs> it's, it's totally ridiculous. Yeah. It seems to me that when we read the Bible, we change. We can't stay as atheists, for example. If you read the Bible and understand, you can't remain an atheist. You have to change. Obviously, these people haven't read their Bibles very much. That is a good point, Lynn. Helen, did you have any final comments for us? Well, I was thinking back to, again, Jesus and the temptations and how he quoted scripture. And and I thought to myself, the many blessings that I have received in using scripture and having it in my heart has been, it's, it's brought a lot of comfort to me and a lot of peace. And then I thought again, I thought, how many, how many texts or promises have I actually stored in my heart for a time when perhaps I may not have the Bible anymore. And, and I'm thinking that this is a lesson for me daily to start memorising again the wonderful, wonderful texts and promises we have to take us through times of trouble such as this. Yeah. Helen, I know exactly what you're saying. I've laid awake in bed even this week when I've had a couple of major issues that don't appear to be resolving themselves where what's popped into my mind is promises of God. Mm. We can actually say things like Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. 
Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, and so on and so forth. The angel of the Lord encampeth around those who fear him and delivereth them. Psalm 46, verse 1. There are so many, aren't there? Yes, absolutely. Just so many. Psalm 91 is an excellent psalm for people going through this virus time at the moment. Yes, it is, Helen, I believe so. And isn't it true that people are really suffering at the moment? Some of our folk are really suffering for lack of fellowship, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of friendship, for lack of people even being able to come and visit them. Yeah. Did you? For me, the lesson today that I'm taking to my heart is that the Bible and the Bible alone is the voice of God himself and uh, is the ultimate standard and foundation of my belief. Yes. So as Jesus quoted so many times, it is written, he was like saying, this is what God is saying and this is what I have. I, I would love to follow because in loving God, we have to place his word, his holy word in our hearts. And that is our guidance to do and to talk and to walk. And uh, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to come into my mind and heart to bring more light in this. And in whatever I acquire to be placed into my uh, actions and into my words and into my behavior to be like Jesus. Thank you, Religion. I guess the challenge for our listeners and ourselves is will we recognize and obey God's word as paramount in our lives as Jesus and the apostles did? Len? There are people who say, oh, you Christians, you need a crutch. You can't manage on your own. You know they're right. But the trouble is when those people find themselves in great difficulty, they look for their crutch too. They may not look to God for help, but they look to others for help. We must never feel inferior because other people say, you Christians need a crutch. We have a crutch. It's there, available for us. We'd be stupid not to use it. Thank you, Len. We have two crutches. I I would like to just, um, uh, my my conclusion and my uh, understanding from this Bible study is as we looked at Jesus and the disciples' view of the Bible, and we learn about that uh, Jesus relay on the Bible, and he, he relayed also and explained the facts of history using all sorts of uh, examples in the Bible, using personages which were real in the history, uses the written word, which was uh, the Old Testament for in his time, and just a couple of things to finish with. For example, in uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 17, it's very interesting how it reads here. It says that for the scriptures says that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for a very purpose, and so on. It means that the scripture, it's actually the word of God. And even if you look in Galatians, Chapter 3, verse 8, it says here a bit more clearly, Scripture is used in place of God, showing just how closely they are tied together, the Word of God, with God himself. Mm -hmm. When we approach the Bible as the Word of God, actually, we are approaching God himself. 
And it's important how we treat the Word of God. We should not take that risk of just interpreting the Bible as we think. We should allow the Bible to interpret itself and learn from the Bible uh, the things which uh, could bring us back to God. Nick, this is why it is so important uh, to allow the Bible to interpret itself. Any other method of doing it is unsafe. Absolutely. It can lead to wrong conclusions. Thank you, folk, for your uh, attention today in our study of the Word. I pray that the challenge, which I'll read again, I hope that we will recognise and obey God's Word as paramount in our lives, just as Jesus and the Apostles did. Helen, would you like to close with prayer for us, please? Yes, I'd love to. Loving Heavenly Father, Sovereign God, the Creator of the universe and King of Kings, our Redeemer, our best friend, we come before you with praise and thanksgiving for the word that we have been able to study this morning. We want to just praise you, Lord, with all our actions, with all our thoughts, with our minds. We want to praise you, Lord, as we go about our daily duties and as we meet other people. We want to praise you in prayer, Father, knowing that you are a God who answers and a God who hears, a God who cares and a God who loves us unconditionally. Father, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord, and may we take this time to study it earnestly and memorize, Father, so that when the temptation comes our way, we can say as Jesus did, it is written. Father, as we go forward to spread the gospel message, I pray that we would expound the scriptures um, in such a way to bring understanding and power to people that we come in contact with as well. Dear Lord, we know that the Bible is the ultimate authority that's come from you. Help us to respect it as we ought. Help us, dear Lord, to show other people that our firm foundation comes from your word and your word only. And Lord, I just pray that as um, Brenton has said to all the listeners, to each one of us, to recognize and obey God's word as paramount in our life, as Jesus and the apostles did as well. Lord, to you be all honour and glory and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much for your participation today and may God bless you and we'll see you, hear you next week with the next topic. Until then, wish all our listeners, as you are spending more time probably now isolating yourselves Use this opportunity to dust off um, the, the Bible, you know, uh, and uh, find the greatest treasure which God ever gave us, which is his word. And uh, enjoy that and uh, rediscover yourself and your relationship with God.